The Old Testament reading for this, the third Sunday in Advent, comes from the prophet Zephaniah, the third chapter. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival, so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in, at the time when I gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, the fourth chapter. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. We rise for the reading of the gospel. And the Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. Luke, the seventh chapter. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. 
This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As a pastor, I get asked lots of questions. What exactly is it that your church believes? Why is church important? What do you do with the rest of your week since you only work on Sundays? Now, some questions are easy to answer because they're lightweight, surface kind of stuff. But then sometimes you get a really heavy one, like this. Pastor, do you ever have doubts about God? Now that question should be easy to answer, because all Christians have doubts at times. But the question is made difficult by fear. Fear that the questioner will think less of me if I say yes. Maybe even the fear that my saying yes could jeopardize that person's faith. And yet, what the questioner really wants to hear is a resounding yes. That Christians, even pastors, do in fact have doubts. Why would they want to hear that? Because it lets them know that they're not alone. Because a question like that, that doesn't come out of the blue. It's normally their own doubts that prompt them to ask a question like that in the first place. And so... We shouldn't be afraid to be honest. We shouldn't be afraid to admit that there are times when our faith is not absolute, when we question and doubt the truth of God himself. We shouldn't be afraid because we are very much not alone. Every Christian has those moments of doubt, those times of uncertainty. And not just the regular old average Joe Christians like you and me. All Christians, including the legendary pillars of the faith, which is why we all benefit so much from reading about John the Baptist today and the doubts that he had while he was in prison. I mean, after all, if he, the greatest of all prophets, the one of whom no man born of woman was greater, if he was susceptible to doubts like this, why should we think that we won't be. Now, John knew what he thought he knew about Jesus and about his own calling. John had been very, very certain about Jesus. John knew that it was his job to prepare the way for the Messiah, the Christ, the promised Savior. John had proclaimed Jesus as the Christ since before either of them were born. When Mary came to greet Elizabeth, John, as a baby still in the womb, leapt for joy because he knew he was in the presence of the Savior, and his mother recognized that. John even baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, proclaiming that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, trying to convince Jesus that Jesus didn't need to be baptized by John, but it should be the other way around. John knew who Jesus was. And at first, 
Everything looked like it was going exactly as it should be. People were hearing God's word, and they were believing it. Jesus was leading a lively ministry. People were still coming to John in repentance and being baptized in the eternal waters of cleansing. This was the way everything was supposed to be. And so at that point, there was no doubt in John's mind. Jesus is the promised Messiah. John was doing what John had been called to do. Things were good, and so there's no reason to question anything. Until everything changed. Drastically. During most of John's ministry, he was popular. People were coming from all over and actually listening to what John had to say. He was seeing instant results as people repented of their sin and asked John what they should do next. Even those who disliked what John had to say, they were still listening. They still showed John a certain amount of respect, even if only from curiosity. John's ministry had been going great, and it seemed like it wouldn't ever end. But then it did. John had enjoyed a bit of fame and renown. He had had everything go his way. But now, now he finds himself in prison, silenced, threatened, and unpopular all of a sudden. He's been taken from the Jordan River area. He's been removed from his ministry. And he is currently being held in chains in Herod's prison. John was doing what God had commanded him to do. And now it's all gone wrong. John was arrested for denouncing Herod. He called out the king and said that it was sinful for Herod to be having a relationship with his own brother's wife. And kings don't like to be told that they're wrong or that they shouldn't do something. So Herod had John arrested, hauls him off to prison to silence him. Herod doesn't like John. He hates what John is saying, but he is afraid to kill him. Herod knows that John is a true prophet. He knows that the crowds would be in an uproar if John was killed. And so for now, John is not killed just imprisoned. But John's future is bleak, and he knows it. This isn't how things were supposed to be. John was obedient and faithful. He had done everything that the Lord had commanded. He had spoken God's word with boldness and purity, and yet here he is, in prison, knowing that his life is in grave danger. And so because of all this, because everything's kind of gone wrong, John starts to have doubts. Not just about his own ministry, but about Jesus as well. John has plenty of time to think about things in prison. And so he's taking another look at what he thought he knew about Jesus. John expected the Messiah to bring judgment, to put an end to tyranny and sin. But Jesus had come along doing works of compassion and mercy. John thought that the Messiah was going to usher in the great day of the Lord, the last day when the, all the faithful would be taken to paradise and the unbelievers would be silenced once and for all. But instead, everything seemed to be business as usual. In fact, the believers were being silenced. 
Given John's dreadful circumstances, what Jesus was doing didn't seem to make sense. And more than that, what Jesus wasn't doing really made no sense to him. Why wasn't Jesus bringing judgment on Herod, this wicked, godless king who was holding John in prison? Why was John being allowed to rot in jail when he should be out there proclaiming God's word? Why is God totally ignoring John's prayers for release, for vindication, for any kind of a sign that everything was still going according to God's plan? Why wasn't God doing it? And so John's faulty expectations led to confusion and doubt. Is Jesus really the one who is to come? Or is there another? Someone better. Someone who's actually going to do the work of the Messiah as John wanted it to happen. And John's doubts kind of aggravate his agony, his bitterness even. He's dedicated his entire life to proclaiming God's word, and now it seems like that word let him down. His doubts grow and grow as they gnaw at him, as the devil uses that doubt to try to drive a wedge between him and God. Didn't God promise you you'd be okay? Didn't he say he would always be with you? Well, look where you are now, John. And as John doubts, he knows he shouldn't doubt, which makes it that much worse. Does any of this sound familiar? It certainly does to me. We've all been there. Maybe we haven't been imprisoned by a king, but we have all been in John's shoes before. What faulty expectations do we have about Jesus? Do we think that if we have a strong enough faith, we won't suffer illness, we won't lose our jobs, we won't be separated from our loved ones by death? Do we think that if we are truly speaking God's word, our congregation is going to be spared from any kind of infighting, any kind of wrongness, any kind of problems in this world? Do we look around at the wretched state of this world and buy into the world's argument that if God really loved the world, he wouldn't let such violence and misery exist? All these misunderstandings and so many more about Jesus can throw us into doubt when suffering comes. When we get sick, we wonder, has God rejected us? When we have a disagreement with a brother or sister in Christ, we wonder if God's love is really enough to hold us together. When we see all the terror and horror in the world around us, we question if God is actually there. There's no doubt about it. We have doubts. We all question God's love and wisdom and even existence from time to time. From the newest believer to the staunchest of Christians, we have our doubts. Because of our sin, because of the sinful world around us, we question, we worry, and we doubt. So what should we do when we find ourselves doubting like John? Well, we should do what John does. John looks to Jesus. John turns to Jesus to resolve his doubts. He doesn't look to his friends. He doesn't focus on what's going around him. He doesn't look within to see how his own heart feels about the situation. John takes his doubts 
to the right place. He takes them to Jesus. John sends his disciples to ask Jesus for him, to bring his doubts before the Lord, to let him know that John is really struggling here. And Jesus, knowing John's situation, understanding what John is going through, gives John exactly what he needs. Jesus doesn't tell the disciples of John, tell that lunkhead, of course I'm the Messiah. Doesn't he remember anything? Instead, he encourages John, not just with some comforting words, but with the word, and with his actions that fulfill that word. He tells John's messengers to tell John what they see happening. Give John not just platitudes, but concrete evidence. This is going on. Jesus explains that his actions speak for themselves. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the good news preached to them. Jesus is fulfilling the scriptures that were written about the Messiah. Now is the time of grace. The time to draw people unto himself. To reach out in tender mercy to all those who are sitting in darkness and death. Judgment, vindication, those will come. There's no question of that, because that too was prophesied. But it's not happening at this moment. And then, despite John's doubts, Jesus blesses him. He says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. That means, take heart, my son, and do not fear. Do not let this world turn you against me. Your faith is well-founded. Jesus leaves no doubt that he is the one sent from God as our Savior. John had been right all along. He was a true prophet, trusting in God's true word. And Jesus is more than a prophet. He is the prophet, the promised Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus was born of a woman, being holy, but also one with sinners, just as God had foretold. He came to man in humility, becoming the least in the kingdom while on the cross, in order to make sinners like us the greatest in the kingdom of God by faith. With the tender words of Jesus, with the undeniable deeds that Jesus was doing, the disciples went back and reassured John. He was strengthened. He was renewed in his moments of doubt, just like we are. In all our times of doubt, Jesus is the one that we can look to for assurance. He is the promised Messiah. He is God himself in our flesh. He is the one who died and rose again to take away our sin. These are not made-up stories. These are not feelings. These are concrete facts. When you are in those doubts, when you are in the pits of despair, don't look within because you won't find anything but more doubt and despair. Look to the cross. That's a fact. That's concrete. That is finished. And that's where our confidence lies. When sickness and pain and even death overtake us and our loved ones, it's not because God has abandoned us. It's because we are sinners in a sinful world. But even then, we can take heart that God is with us. 
and that in heaven there will be no more pain or sickness or ailment of any kind. When petty bickering and worldly arguments strain our relationships with one another, it's not because God isn't with us. In fact, we rejoice that God continues to bless us even when we act so childish and selfish as we so often do. When we see so much terror and death and destruction in the world around us, it's not because God isn't there. Even in these times, we can see the hand of God at work when we look with eyes of faith. As people are driven from their homes, they're taken in by the church and given God's word of eternal life, shown how Christians care for their neighbor. As terror besets so many people, they look to us Christians and ask, how can you be so calm when all of this is going on? And we can tell them, it's not by our strength, but it's because we know the promises and the gifts of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In times of personal crisis and doubt, we don't look within. We only need to look to the cross and the empty tomb. We look to the actions of Jesus Christ, and we can be filled with certainty. Not by our reason or feelings, but by seeing what Jesus has done for us. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And more than that, Jesus Christ goes willingly to the cross. He lays down his life for you. And he rises again from the grave for all eternity. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? John's not the only one who's asked this question. We've all asked it. When the world presses in on us, when our faith just doesn't seem to be working right. After John had asked, did he finally come to terms with his question and his doubts? Well, we can assume so, because he went where he should have to Jesus Christ. He took his doubts to the Lord and Jesus gave him plenty of reasons to believe that he was indeed the Messiah sent from God. In love and mercy, Jesus reassured John that all was well, that things were still in God's hands, that everything was going exactly as it should be even if it didn't make sense to John. And for each and every one of us, Jesus does the same. Every time that doubt assails us, when our expectations about God are contradicted by our experience, leaving us with a spiritual crisis and questions and doubts, we too, like John, can bring our questions to Jesus. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answers us. Go and tell what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Blessed indeed, because he soothes us in our times of despair and relieves our doubts. Jesus Christ, true God in our flesh, delivered to us that blessed Christmas morning. He has come to us to take away our sins our guilt, and our doubt. When we look to him instead of ourselves or the world around us, we are left with no reason to doubt whatsoever because he is the fulfillment of the scriptures. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
He is with you always, even to the ends of the earth. He is the great I Am, who suffered and died in your place, and has risen again from the grave. And so, because of what he has done, there is no doubt about it. For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.